Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true, people. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. I go to pnwa.org to learn about those good people. I hope everybody out there had a good Thanksgiving. If you celebrate that holiday, it's time to begin. Oh, boy. I'm not going to get into it. Let's just keep working. Let's keep doing the thing we love to do, uh, whatever it is. I oh, Listen, I had a great conversation with today's guest, Michael Leppert. Um, I just did. He's an interesting guy. We talked about his book, which is a political thriller. But he had worked as a lobbyist for a while, and I just love talking to people who have done things that I didn't know anything about. And so, yeah, so we had this great conversation. And uh, so Michael is uh, a lecturer at the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University. He's also an adjunct professor at the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs at uh, IU. His first book, Contrary to Popular Belief, is an archive of his editorial writing and other works. And um, he's been published by dozens of newspapers in uh, across Indiana. And uh, his book, his novel, Flipping the Circle, fascinating book, very interesting, out now. And, uh, well, this is our conversation. Enjoy. Michael. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to meet you. It's good to have you on. Um so currently, if I understand, you are residing in the halls of academia. Is this true? That is that is true. That is yeah. true. Okay. At the moment, that's where you are right now. Um, your book, Flip, well, I'm going to hold it up, but no one can see it. But Flipping the Circle, no, there it is. <laughs> you guys hear it. Uh, Flipping the Circle is a political thriller. Um, so I, you have an unusual journey to fiction writing. This is your first novel published, first published novel. I could probably, I've interviewed probably 200 former lawyers, but I believe you are my first former lobbyist that I have ever interviewed. So I want to get into that, but this is a, a novel and novels, you could have written a book just about the lobbying industry and about politics and all the corruption crap that people are dealing with but you chose fiction that's a particular choice were you a always kind of interested in writing fiction was that a secret desire of yours lingering about no actually the process uh the decision making process on what to do with this story uh is what led me there uh oh. I, I didn't want this story to be confused with an expose or about uh, right. any of that stuff. And quite honestly, you know, I wanted to write a story that people who aren't in the field, who aren't connected to it at all, might be interested enough by just reading a story that they enjoy right. to learn a little bit about something they don't know about. And, and so that, that process was, was what led me to fiction writing. And now I'm, I'm hooked. Well, this book reeks of verisimilitude, I have to tell you. It has such an insight, and I say that with the with all fondness. It it just, I feel like, ah, 
Now I know how it actually works. I'm not sure I want to know, but now I do. I feel like I, I know more than I want to know about the sausage. So, all right, so let's back up. So you, so you're, you come out of college. Uh, what, were, what was your ambition at that moment? When you're a young guy in the Midwest, I assume, yeah, you're in Indiana or thereabouts. Right, right. I, yes. I'm not right at this moment, but yes. But, but you were once upon a time. Yeah, uh, you, you know, my, uh, my plan, and, and I followed it uh, largely uh, for my entire career. I've been, I've been one of the few people that has been lucky, uh, you know, other than people who go and get a technical degree and get locked into, you know, engineering or architecture or right. law. Uh, I was able to follow what I wanted to do, and, and, and public service was what I wanted to do. Okay. Um, so I, at IU as a student, I was in the public, in the, what then was the School of Public and Environmental Affairs, uh, now it's the O'Neill School, um, where I teach one one of my classes in that school now. But that was why I was there to learn about government, to be in government. You like serve. you were you were. I'm not, I'm going to use the word affectionately. You were a bit of a nerd, a bit of a law, a bit of a government nerd, probably. You know the want. You were wonky from a just like at an age because really here's the thing. When I was 20, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with government. I didn't want to hear about it. I wish it didn't. I mean, I eventually that changed. But when I was that age, I was like, I this that world seems so unappealing. But you were from an early age. You had your. What was it about it? Why was, was it in your family? Was it in your like what? Because that's not a young person's usually. I think I don't know. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's a it's a good question. You know, the the uh, and I got a, I think I got a pretty good answer. I, I was not a and still am not a rule follower by nature. No. Okay. I come across a rule that I think is just, you know, nonsense and, and it's wrong and it's injustice and, and, and all that. That is what drew me. Because who can change it? I can't. Absolutely. You've got to be in government. I see. That's wrong. interesting. A man who hates rules goes into government so he can change the bad ones. I yeah. like it. That's right. Okay. And you got in there and you thought, this is impossible to change the rules. Or did you actually manage to change some? Oh no! I, I yeah, I I was I was constantly looking for the problem. Whatever the problem okay. was, that was, I was drawn to that, and I wanted right. to do whatever whatever I could add, whatever element I could I could uh, you know affect. Um, I, I that's what I did, and and so I yeah I, I don't I don't know if, if if people will look back and say you know if it wasn't for Michael Leppert, you know this wouldn't be the way it is. Right, right. But in the in the moment and in the in the impact, and that's one thing about government public services you're serving it's you know whoever it is you're serving theoretically hopefully absolutely and so i I had a lot of people i I impacted a lot of lives when i worked for government and and uh and you know and then the next person behind me you know did their thing and so yeah yeah, i I got a lot of uh, a lot of great uh job satisfaction during the years that i worked for government and and it was it did serve its purpose my needs were were definitely served that i could go home at the end of the day and say boy i made a difference today so you were you were trying to do some good you i mean you weren't you weren't merely trying to line your own pockets and you know and by the way there's a lot of people on earth who, who just want to make a lot of money i don't think there's anything particularly evil about that you know yeah you know, never even crossed my mind oh, really? Until, really? you know i had a, two kids at home and all that sort of stuff i, I never even thought about money uh, wow. in those terms so yeah wow okay but you were eventually got into lobbying didn't you Absolutely. right and and lobbyists have a bad name but but i actually know that that's that they're not all you know there was a guy who i heard on npr who was a lobbyist for the energy industry 
and was there explaining why they should be at the table writing the energy rules. And his last name was Evil. His name was Mr. Evil, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't see a problem with being in public relations with the last name. Yeah, yeah. I, I lobbied for the energy industry. So okay. I, I know people like Mr. Evil. Right. I, I mean, he even called people that. I, I don't know. But, but they're not all corrupt. Obviously, everyone who goes to the lobby. And so talk just yeah. about what that world is from a little bit before we get to the book. But like, that's where you came from, that world of... And were you work, working at the federal level or the state level at that point? <laughs> Almost exclusively at the state level. There okay, because that's right. Needed to work with the congressional delegation in Indiana, but for the most okay. part, it was state house stuff. Okay. Yeah, you know, lobbyists, uh, much like a lot of people in and around the public service industry, uh, usually come from a public service angle. I mean, they they were involved with government somehow. Uh, they learned about government somehow, or they they were involved with politics. And, right. and most people get involved with both of those things. And I tell people this all the time, and, and often people don't believe me, but more often than not, 90% of the time, I mean, almost all the time, people get involved with this kind of stuff for a foundationally good reason. You might disagree with it. They believe in that thing that they're... That's, that's how they right. get into the room. Now, yeah. once you're in the room, stuff can run, you know, a foul. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the reason why you're there almost always, and, and I, I can I, I can't even think of an exception in the lobbying community, in the elected official community, in government, where the people didn't go there and, and walk into that room the first time for a foundationally good reason. And so most lobbyists come from that background. And, and you you would find, you know, if you line them all up, you would find that most of them are as ethical and as pure and as and as you know professional uh, as any other industry, uh, but the but the bad ones are you know so bad. Right. So there's the usual spectrum of humanity. You're saying, in other words, humanity is what it is. Right. And I've always thought that with the politician, it's an interesting challenge because in order to be a politician, you have to be ambitious. Like you 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 can't be someone who just wants to sort of hang around. Like you have to have a an active drive in your career. And yet you're there to serve. And I can see the very human, egoic challenge between your own ambition and the need to do something good and how those two things could be in conflict, even though you could convince yourself that they're not. And I would assume the same is true of the lobbyist. All right. The, 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 process, <clears throat> the process for success and to serve ambition <clears throat> is a series of bargains that you make with yourself along that journey. And and that's what happens in a political life of, of, a, of a politician, especially one that that does their whole career in that in that space. Yeah. Joe Biden, great example. He has gone through so many cycles, yeah. so many bargaining uh, sessions in his yeah. time. Yeah. <clears throat> and he's gone through so much change as he's as he's grown older. Um, you know, what, what deals has he made to get where he's at? You know, setting that aside for a second and understanding that, and you mentioned this a minute ago, you made a comment that is a lot about the reason why the book was written, is the human element of all yeah. that. Sometimes people watching it from afar don't understand that the people doing that, they're, you know, they might have had a bad day. That's they right. Have, That's they might right. have had to discipline their child, you know, That's right. work that day, that changed their frame of mind. And, yeah. and those kinds of things are, uh, that, that human element is really what inspired the book. But it's also something that the message of the book is, is really designed to, to, to connect with, that people need to understand that these people that they're seeing on CNN every night are exactly that. They're people. Yeah, it's that human element it, is, is something people forget about sometimes. One of the things I appreciate, there's a guy for MSNBC named Chris Hayes who does, who I've, I, I like the interviews he does. I interview and I listen to him interview and I thought the one question he asked, which I 
is I've not heard other journalists ask that. He'll say occasionally, what was that like as a human being when you were in the room with someone? What was it just on a personal level to sit there and that person, you know, that when they're in the January 6th stuff. Right. And I haven't heard journalists ask that. And, I, and that is the thing I want to know. Like, as a human being, this person now is accusing you of being a whatever. And now you have to work right next to them. And that's, I don't deal with that as a human being. And this right. book does deal with it. And so one of the interests, okay, so, so you're, so as a, as a person interested in writing, it started more as in sort of opinion, academic type pieces. So you were writing based about, you know, doing sort of nonfiction, argumentative type pieces initially with that fair description right. and still do I, I i write a weekly column uh every right. week for uh, uh that's published by the state house file which is an indiana-based wire service okay uh reports on the state house and in lock and the regional papers throughout the state run, okay. my, run my column there right. um i write a monthly column for the indianapolis business journal and so those are you know classic columns they're editorial right. uh, but and I, very different than fiction but i know as someone who's written a lot of different stuff that Writing is still writing on some level. You have to understand, like, ooh, I'm interested. I am interested in the experience of finishing one sentence and deciding what should come next, right? Right. Just that right. very fundamental thing. Right. No, I, the conversation that I have is that there better be a reason for whatever it is you're writing. If, if you're going to go right. through the trouble of writing yeah. as well, there better be a foundational reason for the story right. you're about to tell. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, I, and I, I teach communication at, at IU. And so I have that conversation. Four times a day on Tuesday and Thursday, <laughs> a bunch of uh, eager young minds. So. I'll, I'll bet. I'll bet that the teaching. Well, as someone who also teaches, I know how much it has helped me. I didn't understand until I started teaching how much it helped my own work and helped my own writing. You know, oh, yeah. made me clear. Like, I don't know if it happens with you with your students, but they ask you a question that you hadn't anticipated anticipated hearing. And you had never thought about, and in having to answer it, you learn about the thing you supposedly have been mastering for the last. Does that oh, yeah. happen to you? My, my, this is my first semester teaching full time, and my 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 brain explodes about six times a week. You know? <laughs> it's, that happens all the time. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, you learn a lot. So you're writing these pieces, and you must be liking it. I mean, you probably you're getting paid for it, and it's nice, but it's you must like the actual experience of sitting on a blank page and saying, "Here we go," and 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 doing it regularly, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the thing that I enjoy about it, and people ask me why I do it, and, and it's because I enjoy doing it. I mean, I, I enjoy trying to give somebody a, a, a nugget or, or a look into whatever it is that I'm writing. Sometimes yeah. I go out and learn about it myself, you know, when right. I'm like, I know everything and I just spew this stuff out. You know, I have to I have to do some learning myself. And, and that's the thing that people underestimate in what I do on the column side is I spend right. a lot of time learning about it. it. It just cracks me up when people get mad about the, the take that I've, that I've published. And they're like, you don't know any more than the next guy. And it's like, well, I, I put a lot of time into this. <laughs> Again, I'm not going to know a little bit more <laughs> time to, to, to have enough credibility to share the opinion, you know? So, uh, but, but yeah, I, that, that storytelling component, because what I do, my style is to say, here's something that here's an analogy to what happened in Congress this week that makes right. sense to me in my daily life out in Indianapolis. And ah, see. There might be a movie I watched or a book I read or a, or a conversation I had with somebody who wasn't even talking about that and, yeah. and just, just try to make those connections. And so that that's the fun part for me to say, you know, yeah. this reminds me of a card game I was playing last week. Yeah. 
You see, you're finding the, uh, I write personal essays and that what you're always looking for is the universal within the particular. So the universal experience within the particular experience, whether you're going bowling or writing a story or, right. or having an argument with your wife, what's the universal experience within it? So you're writing these pieces, you're writing columns, you like it. And I would also think, you know, I, I joked earlier about all the lawyers I've interviewed and I have interviewed a lot of lawyers become writers. And I've often asked like, what do you think that's all about? And one of the, I think, one of the things, aside from being a type A, which most lawyers are, and that feeds well into the, you know, the work habits of a writer, um, is storytelling. And the, the lawyer has to cobble, look at the facts and then choose them so that a story that they want to tell is being told. And I would assume as a lobbyist, there's a fair amount of storytelling. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, that you're having to frame this thing as a narrative. Uh, and you probably started getting good at that just on the in, in person, yeah, and yeah. the things you were writing. Yeah, you know, the last uh, the, the last job that I had in public service, I was a, a executive director of an agency, and, and and in that role, I had to work with the legislature, but I had to, but working with the media and being the spokesperson for all things energy and telecom for state government was my job. Right, and that stuff is complicated. Yeah, it's not it's not soundbite, you know, ready. Right. right. My job as a lobbyist, when I left and became a consultant for 20 years, that skill of taking a complicated uh, topic and trying to make sense of it, starting from starting with an audience that was starting at zero, right, um, was really what my what my skill was. How how I made a yeah. living. I can take this complicated thing and take somebody who doesn't know and may not even care to know, yep. and try to try to get them from not knowing anything to knowing at least a little bit about what it is yeah. that matters in that story. And so that's that's what my my job was. And so that's when I start writing. That's uh, that's how I think, you know. That translates. You got to know the first thing about this, yeah. And let me make it fun. Let me try yeah. and find a way to keep them uh, keep them with me for five minutes. You know. Yeah, absolutely. That it that translates very well to to fiction writing because you have to entertain, obviously, but you also have to keep knowing how to dole out information and how to keep and how to and so and you've got a topic. Of, of, I would you know I think about with your topic. It's not quite as complex, but I don't know if you saw the film version. I didn't read the book, but the film version of The Big Short, which was, you know, and they had quite the task because they had, for those of you not, it had to do with that the crash of 2008. And it all dealt with this, you know, shorting stocks and stuff that they knew nobody, nobody, but they did such a good job of making that entertaining. And you have to do a little bit of that too, because you got, because for this story to make sense, and this is a story of a, of a, a lobbyist who is going through a spiritual personal crisis. And then, and there's a lot of stuff he's getting involved. He got, starts getting involved with, but the core story for him is his, his emotional journey and he's having his second thoughts. And so let's start with that. Cause I thought that was interesting that you chose a, a protagonist who's going through a spiritual, who's actually getting spiritual counseling uh, in a thriller. That's yeah. unusual. Now, do you like to read thrillers? Do you read them yourself? No. Aha. Um, Interesting. Yeah. See, no. thought out of the box because you didn't know what the I box can, was. I can say that. <laughs> I, I, I do. I started reading them after I wrote this. I that read, doesn't uh, count. <laughs> doesn't count. Yeah, no, no, no. It's one of those things where you want to go back and say, boy, I wish I had read this first. But yeah, um, the, the, yeah the, the, the funny thing is uh, about that, that the choice is that the getting back to that human element is part of the big messaging part of the big reason to write this and, and the michael you know the big short the michael lewis 
Yeah. My, I have not read it. My younger son has read it twice. I think it's his favorite wow. book. Um, you know, and, and I've read a lot of Michael Lewis's other books since then. And that's, that was actually the, the writer on my mind. Really? Thinking about, yeah, absolutely. When I was thinking about writing this, it's like I could write it the way Michael Lewis right. I could try to mimic that. Right. Um, but I, I don't know enough about what happened behind the curtain. I suspect a lot of things. Right. Uh, and, and that's good enough for me. I want to be able to tell people what I think happened as opposed right. to all the gory details of what actually happened. And Michael Lewis has a very journalistic approach to yeah. he gets the facts right. Yep. And so, um, so that became a, that became the, the decision making process oh. of the story. Yeah, that's interesting because you have that there's that line which is you say, what do I care about? Because what you cared about was not the actual events, but the essence of what that world is and what is being asked of the people and the kind of problems they have. It does. Right. It's not the particular thing that happened. And that's always the divide within a lot of these writers, which is, do I care about the subject matter or the very particular thing? So you went the other direction. And so, OK, now fiction, I'll tell you, there's a whole thing. You know, that's a, it's there's a reason people do it for 20 years before they feel like they can publish their first book. It's a whole thing. And so you said, okay, I'm going to write a novel. And so when you started doing that, what was, it's going to be a lot you have to learn, but what was the thing that, let's get started here. What came easiest to you? Because usually there's something that you get, some aspect of it that isn't. And I'm going to guess part of it's, I'm going to guess it's the voice. I'm going to guess this, the narrator came relatively easily to you. Is that true? It's in the first person, I should tell our listeners. Yeah, it came, it came, it came super easy to me. Um, Yeah. You know, you know, and I drew on, you know, and I came from that school of write what you know sort of thing. Sure. So I knew, I knew a lot about the emotional stuff connecting to, connected to the work that, that's being discussed there. That that right. was that was no challenge really for me. Right. Um, and talking about the things that I know have have and can happen in in you know the the human element, you know the the human experience. Um, all of that stuff and how's, how that has an impact on outcomes yeah. uh, at, in the government level. The personal... That stuff can be very easy to me. Right. That aspect. Okay. So that element of it, like how the human element affects these big macro uh, events. But right. then, well, you know what I think about? I think about Trump but I, and how interesting, because you know the, it's, it was his ego. On some level, it just had to be the most human ego-y thing that led to this nearly calamitous thing on January 6th. I don't get political here very often, but I do consider that a near calamity. And it, and it seemed to me that it was his most fundamental human ego that was really the cause of that. And in a way, nothing more corrupt than that, maybe. Maybe nothing more. But I think that was my take anyway. Yeah, there, there's not, there, there is all, and in the story and in the book, there is a, uh, a mooring that is there. For even for all the characters that are in there, good yeah. and bad, you know, good guy, bad guy, you know, all of that sort of stuff, there is a fundamental mooring to this is how it's supposed to work, or I have at least some commitment to what I think public service is, what I think the different, what right and wrong, how I define right, right. and wrong, all right. of those things. And, and you know, you, we talked earlier in this conversation about making money. You know, there are a lot of people that think that that their profession is there for them to be as successful and ambitious as possible. And so, and, and I just don't think that. And, right. and I think that a lot of people that are watching government and politics, they assume that everybody thinks like that. And it's just not true. <laughs> That's um, good to hear. Yeah. And so some of some of this, you know, and sometimes that, that ambition gets the best of people who don't think that way as a regular course. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, 
understanding that I wonder what was going on with that person, you know, when they made this choice that had such huge ramifications. Yeah. It would be very healthy for Americans to understand that they might have had a conversation with a spouse that day that yeah. said, you know what, I really think you ought to do it like this. And that yeah. might, you know, or somebody they pass at the newsstand or whatever, you know, those kinds of things that people think don't matter um, that really have an impact on, on, uh, on governmental outcomes, which have impacts on, you know, so, you know people. You know why it's such a good story, Michael? Because it's interesting when people talk about fiction, I was talking to Jane Smiley about this, the Pulitzer Prize winning novelist, Jane Smiley. We were talking about fiction and she was, uh, and I've, I've heard this talk, I've heard so many writers talk about this, it's really true for me, is compassion. Compassion and empathy, compassion and empathy. And, you know, you see a lot of these people doing things and we think they control our lives, they don't, but they, you know, they have some effect, some, but to have some compassion, know they're human beings with fears and concerns and worries and egos and families and frail bodies and cravings and all the things it's easy to forget because we want them to be perfect and they ain't <laughs> you know yeah. you yeah. know in, in this in this story and in, in, in the in the and sort of the atmosphere that i'm trying to communicate in the story is that there are there are failings that also serve us and uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know looking at the things that didn't get done and being able to continue to talk about them, wouldn't it have been great if, if X had happened or if Y had occurred or, or if X had not happened and, and those kinds of things. And I talk to people about that a lot too, that sometimes, sometimes just trying to do the right thing uh, can inspire, you know, yeah. inspire progress. And, yep. and, and those, those kinds of conversations are, are ones that we have, we actually have in the lobbying community more often. Oh, than oh this is so good. This is so good for me to hear. I yeah. love it. I like to get a peek behind the curtain and have it not be hideous and disgusting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, good, good, good loses, you know, yeah. good doesn't always win. But, that's but. right. Well, that's true. It's human. Okay. So, all right. So the voice and the, and getting the reality of it, that came easy, but there must've been aspects that were very challenging and even surprising. Like, Oh God, I didn't think I know it's true of everything I've had to learn. So what was that for you? Yeah, the, the one thing that I went into writing this with uh, that that I didn't think I, I thought actually was a benefit or an asset was that I knew what had actually had occurred that the story right. is based on it's historical drama in, right. in ways um, at least on the process side of what actually happened in the state house and I thought that that was going to make writing this and telling the story easy. <laughs> and what happened was that became the biggest burden on yeah. me was yeah. I knew what had actually happened. And I didn't want, I wanted people to, when they got done reading the story, I didn't want there to be a question about whether or not this kind of thing happens. Right. This kind of thing absolutely happened. <laughs> right. So, and so I, that became a real burden to try and find a way to tell the story without detracting in a way that might make people question, well, that's just dramatization. It's not the really way it right. works. Right. No, 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 no. I, I wanted to make sure that, especially people who didn't witness any of the real life version, or weren't from Indiana, like for you, you know, if you're reading this story, right. Indiana can be anywhere for you. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be, you know, just someplace where this kind of thing is American as, as American gets. Right, uh, right. It could, be, it, could, it could be in Washington. It could be yeah. in New Mexico. It could be in Maine. Yeah. And, and that was, that was, uh, that was something that was important to me, but I, I wanted to make sure that there wasn't any question that this is not Miss Sloan. This is not thank you for smoking. Right. 
this is something that actually did happen and it's moored in reality. Uh, you were burdened with the truth, my friend. When you're trying to write fiction, you gotta you you can use it, but you gotta know when to cut it loose. You right. know when to cut it loose. The number one burden, you just nailed it right uh, there. The truth you know to cut loose. <laughs> but but uh you got bit by the bug. Uh, and so the experience, there must have been something about it. And I think I know what it is, because it's the same for almost every fiction writer. But what, what, when you were bit, what bit you? What was the aspect of it you thought? Because you've, you've told your story, you got the truth out, a little bit the truth about this experience, but, and now you're still interested. Yeah. Why are you still interested? I, yeah, I tell you what, I, I enjoyed creating the, the stuff that was just built from scratch. It was just the, the creative part of it that was yeah. purely creative. I enjoyed that while I was doing it. Then when I had the first person read it, and say that's uh, the stuff I really liked. That was the stuff I liked most oh, about the story. For wow. people that I thought would care about the, you know, the the the, the lessons that are in it and, and right. the uh, and the and the storytelling that I think uh, can be used in a classroom. And I'm teaching the book in, in my class. Uh, but but hearing people say, "Oh, that love story is what I really liked about it." Um, that <clears throat> that just was like gas on a fire for me. All right. Uh, so that's All right. right now. You know why that is, is because, so I write about my own life. So I write about truth, reality, but I, I've done it a lot. So I learned like, before I start writing, like I'm going to write about this thing that happened. But the first thing I tell myself is, you don't know why you're writing about it. Don't you pretend you know why, go find out why you're writing about it. And the same is true of fiction. And the, and because the finding out, Michael, is the inspiration. That's the, that's the thing speaking to you that you didn't expect. That's where the juice is. That's where the heat is. That's where the genius is, I think. And so I suspect that when you did the fiction, because you were new to this, and when you started doing the love story, which, you know, you know, that's part of the story. Now your inspiration, now your real creativity is kicking in. And ooh, isn't that electric in a way? And that's where the real yeah, juice is. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you a story about that. You know, when, when I contacted Greenleaf, I contacted them about a different story. It was a uh -huh. different book that I hadn't yet written. Right. And it was a lot like my first book, which was based on columns, and it was sort of a right. chronicle, and it could talk about a, a story that, that, uh, that I was actually doing column writing in preparation for that book. Right. I contacted them and they loved the idea. We got on the phone and, and, and we talked about timing and it wasn't exactly right. And, uh, and, and they said, and I said, well, I've got this novel on the shelf. And they said, oh, you got to let's read that. And they said, we want to wow. do that right now. That's how they got this story. Wow. What, with the original book idea is now that original book idea has turned into another fictional story. And so as, as, wow. soon, as, as soon as I can get, uh, get the flipping the circle in the in the regular circulation and i can i can uh, i can roll my sleeves up and write the story of this of this second book idea um, I'm, I'm real excited about that uh, it's good it's yeah. good man i'm telling you weird thing about fiction writing is and creative writing i'm not saying the, the opinion pieces weren't creative but it's a little different when you've really got like nothing you know it's it's, it's asking something different yeah. is uh you start getting a little hooked on it and when you're not doing it you might find yourself getting a little grumpy you might find yourself a little irritated, irritable that you can't do it. I was just talking to a, a, a doing an interview yesterday with a woman who, once she really got into writing her fiction, she was like, "Man, you don't want to talk to me now when I can't do it." I, I'm a, and I think it's the best addiction there is. Is the yeah, addiction you know, I, to the I creative process. One of the things about the book that I that we're talking about here, and the book that I'm about to write, is yep. that I get to I get to tell stories about how things felt. Yeah, yeah. When I write a historical piece and, and, and you know, I'm going to write about 2020, 
when I write about 2020, it's really not going to be about all the gory details that we all have, you know, right. they're all fresh in our mind right now. Right. What I want is to write a book that's going to explain and express how it felt. Yeah. And, and that, uh, you know, when you look back at the flu, uh, you know, the 1918 right. flu thing, it's hard to find information about how people actually felt. Right. And, uh, right. And I, I had, I, I saw an interview with someone saying that, that, that we didn't write about it much then. Right. I'm not going to let that happen because I'm going to write a book about how that felt. Good man. So, Good man. Well, it's true. I suck the life out of me, but I'm going to do it. No, no, no. I tell you, I tell my students all the time. I say the true human currency is feeling like that's what we actually care about. And, and as writers, we are feeling merchants. We're selling a feeling. This is what it feels like to be in love or to be scared or to be curious. It's feeling. It's all we care about, man. Right. I don't care what happens. I want to know what it feels like when it's happening. It's everything okay michael you got it so you got the right idea man you got the right idea so you might be able to do this thing you might be able to stick this thing out if you want to if you want to so all right so here's my question first of all first of all if people listen to you, what an interesting guy i'm not an undergrad i can't take his class but i am interested in this guy if they want to contact you learn about you have them come have you come zoom into their living rooms for a book group how might they find you they can find me at michaelleppert.com. All right. Um, and so at that website, you're going to get, you know, obviously an advertisement of the new book that's out that we're talking yeah. about now, but you're also going to get my weekly column there. Um, and I am starting a podcast uh, yeah. that, that is basically, uh, it's basically a, 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 a audible version of my weekly column. So Good. people can subscribe to that and spend four and a half minutes listening to it while they're on the treadmill or while they're driving to work instead of having to take four and a half whole minutes and read it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know how that is. I mean, oh, I'm yeah. on reading on, on books on tape now. And, and uh, uh, I just got done with all the light we cannot see. And, Ooh, and oh, like, I bet uh, that was good. Oh, no, it was wonderful. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure I would have gotten all the pronunciations right if I had uh, <laughs> myself. So, uh, so that's, that's what I'm doing there. And so I can be contacted through there and I'm, I'm happy to talk and share and, and, and listen. I do a lot of listening too. Good, uh, especially Good. late. I don't know why. But it just seems like a lot of people have been dying to contact me and take issue with my columns lately. So Good. I, I think they think they're bothering me, but it's like, no, you're not. This is actually why I do it. So fire away. That's good. Well, if they're, if they're taking issue, that means you've said something that you've created, like you've jarred them a little bit. Good for you. Good for you. Oh, audiobooks. Yes, I just recorded my uh, the audiobook for my last book. So, oh, very exciting. A lot of fun. So I can't wait for people to get that. Um, but all right. Last question for you, Michael Leppard. I want you to finish the sentence. If writing has all the writing you've done, not just this novel, but all the writing you've done has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Wow. What a great question. Um, Thank you. It has taught me to probably talk less and listen more. Oh. Good answer, my friend. Good answer. Michael, good luck. Listen, this book was a lot of fun. Talking to you was a lot of fun. This was so, uh, this is so kind of eye opening and interesting. You're an interesting guy. Flipping the Circle is the book. Uh, get it, read it, be informed, be entertained. You won't be disappointed. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I look forward to I uh, look forward to listening to you. I just listened to one earlier today, so oh, good. I'm fired up about listening to, to yours on a regular basis. Good to see oh, you. Oh, thank you. Oh yeah. It's good, people. It's good stuff. Uh hope you enjoyed that. I want to thank my 
producer R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, R.J. You're great as always. And to all of you out there, you know, all you got to do is just find something you really like to do, find something you love to do, and then just do it. <laughs>